Welcome to the Beef Up After Party. What up? Can we, you just talk us through what's about to happen here? Carnage. I'm not a big drinker, so this could get interesting. <laughs> I'm sorry if this microphone wears. Am I supposed to be serious or not on this? So it'll be basically be the same system. The same system. But, but with ours. Yeah. The total web meltdown. Okay, long story short, basically we screwed it up. Because this festival hasn't broken me enough. Oh, f it, motorbikes. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome everybody to the latest episode of the Beef Hop After Party. Now, I have some special guests on this episode. First of all is our resident adrenaline junkie, Red Bull Nitro Circus photographer, Mark Watto Watson. We have Anne Scott Virtue, our weddings expert and social media manager from White Shutter Photography. And we have Mother Beef Hop himself, Nick Fletcher. On this episode, we are going to be sitting down playing a game called Never Have I Ever. Now, I'm sure some of you have heard of this game or even maybe partaken in it before, but it is a drinking game. So before we get to that, if you are going to or want to play along at home with this, we obviously recommend the responsible consumption of alcohol because we are responsible at BFOP. But basically, we're going to be sharing some stories, maybe even confessions from our photographic careers. So I'm sure it's going to be entertaining and I'm sure we're all going to have a few laughs. So I hope you all enjoy. Welcome groupies to the first ever edition of BFOP Never Have I Ever. I'm Wes and I'm here with Mark Watto-Watson, Nick Fletcher and as on Zoom, ASV, which would be Anne Scott Virtue as an, as an acronym name like JFK. All the famous people, mate. All of them. Welcome, welcome. So <laughs> the way this is going to work, it's going to be photography related. Never have I ever. I've compiled a list of scenarios and situations that I will run through. And as per the game, never have I ever, if you have played it before, if anyone has done what I read out, then it will be up to them to drink what they are drinking. So Mark, what have you got in your cup? Oh, I have a, I'd like to sound trendy, but I've got a rather mid-range. Oh, this is a good start. We've got some technical difficulties straight off the bat with Mark Watson. He did say he was going to stuff it up. We'll come back to him. Nick, what are you drinking? I've got a, a nice little Tasmanian Pinot here. Oof, sounds delicious. And Anne, uh, I have two drinks. I have my mother's. I have my Mother's Day champagne and a nice glass of double barrel. Okay, and I'm the only heathen drinking beer. Apparently, we got Mark back yet. We kind of need Mark before we start this. I've got a big warning saying your internet connection is unstable. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> I did join NB. This is this is a good ad for NB. I went on the NBN last week. <laughs> can you hear me? We can. Yeah. You're back. You, you've come back. We've got you. So as I said, I've got a, a list of questions <laughs> and we'll probably run it so it's not chaos. We'll run it in order of my screen in the order of Mark, Nick, and Anne. And of course, if you do drink on any of the scenarios, we would like to hear a little bit about the situation. Does that make sense? Maybe. Right, okay. So we've got a, a, a virtual circle going on. Yes, I got you. We do. And because we didn't actually hear the answer to the question, let's go back. What are you drinking, Mark? A, fr a French Pinot Noir, two thousand. Oh, so we've got two Pinots. Oh, jeez. You guys are fancy. Well, actually it was Jack, just a mid range are... Frenchie. <laughs> do you import them yourselves? Uh, well 
No, I don't. What happened is that, is that we went into this bloody isolation and I drank all the cheap stuff and now I'm starting to work through the expensive stuff. <laughs> the, bo- um, the bottle shops are still open. Shit. Uh, no, I thought we had to just stay in our houses and not leave at all. <laughs> not at all. So does that make sense? Everyone, any questions? Am I okay to eat throughout this? You, you can do whatever you want. It's Mother's okay. Day. Okay, so no questions, I assume. So let's just get started. We'll start off easy, and then we might move into some more intricate things, if that's okay with everyone. How are we all feeling? Nervous. Nervous. You confused. Look, I was going to say, Nick, you look confused. <laughs> okay, so easy. It was so simple in my mind, this game. This is a really... Don't worry, Nick. I'll make a bigger fool of myself than you will ever be able to. This is a really... Yourself, that is. Really easy one to start with. Never have I ever worked for free. So Nick's drinking. So if you, if you have worked for free, you have to drink. So everyone's drinking, which is, well, oh, hold on. Mark's thinking very hard. He just wants to drink. He's just, it's suspense. He's just drawing the suspense. So, <laughs> so, so it took a There's going to be a lot of thinking going on here. <laughs> it's going to be very boring <laughs> listening because it's going to be everyone sort of drinking and then me pausing going. Now that, that, one, that one wasn't hard. That was my business model. <laughs> it still is mine. So, Mark, you, even, you got there eventually, but, Mark, you did drink. So let's tell us about when you worked for free. Well, I'm a freelancer, so that <laughs> I think you're looking. I think you're taking. I think you're taking the term way too literally. <laughs> so I thought that's what we did. Isn't that a new age of photography? Is that we just? Is that big companies come to you and they say it'll be really good for your profile and your portfolio, and you'll get a rad Insta following. You'll get good exposure. Um, exposure, exposure. It's all about exposure. No, I. I mean, I've done a number of jobs. Um, where there was no guaranteed income. <clears throat> the reason I, I thought about that question is because <laughs> Oh, the NBN. Okay, so the NBN is has struck again, so we'll move it on to Nick. We'll come back to you, Mark. No, very, very genuine. NBN. It's my business model. It is it, it is how I've got every photography gig ever. Okay. So is... Explain that a little more for us. Well, I um <laughs> I do things I love doing. So it's photograph motorbikes, I photograph mountain bikes, I photograph climbing. Um, so um, I'm generally, I'll, I'll go along and do an event. I'll take some photographs. I'll send them to the organizer and say, use them if you want. But next time, pay me to come and photograph it. And um, that's how I've got all my business ever. Okay. And how do, so how, how does that work for you? Is it working well? <laughs> I've still got a day job. <laughs> that's, that's one thing we do need to point out about you. You do work a full-time job that is not photography-related. It's paid for, paid for all my holidays and all my gear, so I'm very happy. There you go. Anne? Yes. Um, yes, I have worked for free. Um, I really wanted to land a job with a, which, who turned out to be a bit of my mentor um, back up in Darwin, Shane. And um, I just basically threw myself at him. I'll do anything you like. I'll come work for free for you and show you what I can do and what I can't do and hope to get a job that way. And I shot a couple of weddings. So that worked out really well. It worked out, yeah. Mm-hmm. And yep, let's go definitely. back to Mark because NB- NBN <laughs> issues, Mark. So, <laughs> so basically what we got was, yes, I have worked for free. Oh, that was it. That was it. <laughs> Oh, no, that's all I had to say. 
<laughs> <laughs> All of a sudden, Mark no, Watson I'm, stopped telling stories. I am a freelancer, so I have worked for free, but I don't think I've ever worked without the intent to earn, as in I'll do this job for free because it'll be good for my portfolio or because it will be good down the line. And I think it's probably Peter Eastway's fault because he beat it into us when he came and spoke to us at university um, way back in the late 90s and and sort of started talking about how to run your photography as a business and valuing yourself. <clears throat> and so I've always had a bit of a little, even a mini business model. So it's like, okay, if, even if I'm going out to shoot for free, what, what are my chances of earning out of this and what am I going to earn? And and pretty much having a baseline on it and saying, well, if I can't either guarantee myself or have a very high chance of earning, say, 500 bucks a day, even back when I was a midget, then it's not not a job worth doing. So I've worked for free, but I don't think there will have been a job where I haven't earned out of it. Okay, so it sounds in a way similar to your answer, Nick. Other than there was plenty of those free jobs where I didn't get any money out of it. <laughs> Sure, but we didn't have to mention Mark, that. that Mark is the successful example of my strategy. <laughs> <laughs> Mark, Take one Mark look at made it, it work. It, not success here, all right? <laughs> I but knew it's... I should have gone in a wedding. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, a re- I mean, it's a really, it is a really good question to ask, especially because there's so many of our groupies out there that create such phenomenally good quality work that are in the boat of, not having either the confidence experience or the knowledge of what to charge. So they just work for free because they don't think their work is good enough or they don't understand how to price it. So I think it's a really important thing and a really good thing for people to listen to answers from you guys to get ideas because so many of them create work that is definitely worth charging for. It is a really difficult one. Sorry, go, Nick. I was going to say I've never shot twice for free. For the same person, yeah. you mean? Yeah. I've gone out, I've sent some photos through and said, look, if you need someone to shoot on one of your events next time, let me know. Um, and if they've called me and said, hey, will you come and do it for free? The answer is no. That's a really, really good point. Yeah, that's really good. I think you start with this. You can go on forever talking about this topic because I think a lot of very good photographers, especially the young guys, are getting taken advantage of. But on the flip side, how do you gain experience? It's very hard to walk out of an arts degree and say, on 250 bucks an hour with no experience. So it, it's a battle. I, I think that's a really good one, Nick. I've also used <clears throat> with some clients that have come back and you get it very regularly these days, oh, we don't have the budget. I think it's an interesting one as well. Um, maybe I'm getting a bit sidetracked and this is why we go for six hours. But I think what's what, what, what you need to try to do is is keep your value at where it needs to be. If you let, Let's say you're, it's a $1,000 shoot and someone comes and says, I only have a $500 budget to turn around and say, all right, how do we make this work? I'll take your $500 budget, but you make, I'm photographing shoes or I'll take $500 worth of shoes, not whether you need them or not, but your, your value is still at $1,000 then. So next time they come back to you, you can say, no, I'm still $1,000. Whereas as, as soon as you say, I'll do it for 500 and I'm not going to take those shoes, you're now a $500 a day shooter. So, you know, I mean, obviously that's a shoe scenario and no one needs 500 bucks worth of shoes every time they hey, shoot. but. Hey. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, if it's Jimmy Choose, you're not you're not getting many out of that. It's just one pair, <laughs> one pair of shoes. Just one you get one left shoe and that's about it. But yeah. no, that's that, no, it's a really, really good point. And to, it's just a different way to think about it that so many people wouldn't actually consider. Looking at the business that you're shooting for and okay, well what service or product do they provide? 
and where can that tie into what we're doing? It's the negotiation. It's the back and forth. So that's a really, really good point. On to number two. Never have I ever cloned someone out of a picture or cloned someone into a picture. Good. This is working really well. Everyone drinks again. <laughs> Perfect. All right. Let's see. Let's see if this works this time, Mark. Go. Go. Okay. NBN, how are we going? Um, actually, my stories can be very rubbish because I'm racking my brain trying to figure out who it was and when it was. Um, we probably don't. We, we probably don't need to name names just for fear of offending people. I've got a feeling it might have been Nitro Circus, but it it was it was like a team photo and someone was absent, and so the request was, "Can you put him?" I love that request. It's just like, can't you just put a blue sky in? Can't you just put a person in? <laughs> oh, for fuck's sorry. <clears throat> Jesus Christ, you've got to shoot with the same lighting. You've got to have the right pose. It's not, you don't just drop a person in and make it look natural. But anyway, yes, I've had the request and I have done it before. Fortunately, if you're doing it with, say, you know, 50 people, it's not super noticeable. Okay. And it worked out okay? Worked out fine, I think. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Sent it to the client. No one said anything. No, it absolutely worked out fine. Okay. Nick. Oh, I've, um, Probably the most notable time I did it was uh, I was shooting for one of the big metro marathons and uh, they got me to shoot the training sessions they do in the evening. And uh, I was on the South Bank in Melbourne and I'd set up a strobe to catch them at night with all the city lights behind. And I got this sort of group of um, four young, attractive women. And then in the middle of it, there was this bloke who was fairly odd looking to begin with, but then pulled this face at the camera <clears throat> like he was mentally retarded. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so what I'd done, because it was on a tripod, um, I had a blank frame without anyone in it and then I had a frame oh, with them so in it. so good. So I cloned him out and then I didn't tell anyone. And I thought, I'll get away with it. It's fine. It's going... It's the image they use for all their advertising now. And I know that guy will be walking past going, I'm sure I was in the middle of that group. Well, <laughs> I remember, that looks familiar. No, mate, no, they did really a, familiar. We did a training run with just the girls before mm. before that. that was. <laughs> and and yeah, wedding, surely. Right. Surely there's a wedding story. Oh, there's actually, yeah, there's, there's plenty. Um, it generally, like I actually do it quite frequently in, in family photos, especially um, when you have like, you know, you take like 10 photos of the same group, but there's always someone blinking or not paying attention. So you just swap faces. So that happens quite frequently. Um, but I think the my favorite one was um, I shot a wedding in uh, in Lawn on the beach. Beautiful day on the main beach. People were there and everyone was really respectful besides this one guy. And he was a very interesting looking character with his old sailor's hat, his budgie smugglers and just, you know, his um, beer keg. Um, And he decided to stand directly behind the couple on the the waterline. And he was in every single photo until someone finally got the hint and like he moved on and then he stood right next to the, um, like the edge of the crowd and he decided to watch the ceremony from there. So yeah, I had to clone him out out of quite a few photos. It's like, nope, this is my beach. <laughs> but he got dressed up, you know, with his with his sailor's hat and his budgie smugglers. It was yeah, it was, it was it was a pleasant experience to Photoshop him out. He was there. So it is, I mean, it's something that you've <laughs> got to do. Everyone yep. everyone has is faced with that at some point. And if you've got to do it to make the photo work, you've got to do it, don't you? Never have I ever 
replaced a sky. We got Insta drinks from Nick and Anne. And once again, Mark looks puzzled. Mark's not going to do it. Mark has never replaced a sky. So we have to go on to Nick. Why have you replaced skies? I've I've only done it on a couple of occasions, and um, it's been uh, it's been shots where not landscape shots, but generally sort of people shots where I've blown the sky out in the back, and I'll just put it in so it isn't quite just a big black uh, white thing behind them. But uh, I don't I haven't done it in landscape, and I haven't done it in sort of sports either. It's just been sort of portrait shots where I've done it. Okay, so your landscapes are always as they are yeah i don't know it's, it's ridiculous but landscape's one of those where i think it, it then starts to be a composite not a landscape so yeah fair enough and once again it's probably a somewhat common thing with weddings uh not in weddings um no. in commercial work um when i did some architectural photography um just swapping out skies if it was overcast or you needed to have a dark darker sky or something like that happens quite frequently Nothing spectacular. All right, let's move on to the next one. Never have I ever made someone thinner. (laughs) (laughs) Was that that a selfie, Mark? Was that a selfie? (laughs) You've seen my latest portrait shot on my uh, self-portrait on my website? (laughs) That was unexpected. Everyone's like, well, this guy works out. Mark Watson was the only one to take a drink. Why was I the only one? Only one, Mark. Come on, Anne. No, nah, I haven't. Nick. I don't. I don't whiten anyone's teeth, and I don't make anyone skinnier. There you no. go, Mark. Take it away. It was at the request of a friend of mine who is a model, and um, I won't go into the specifics. But she's been in the game for a long time, and she did look at one of the shots. She said, "I really love that, but <clears throat> we'll need to use a liquefy tool on that." She and, knew um, the terminology and everything. Oh, she knew it. She knew how to do it for crying out loud. I could have just given the shot to her. But yes, we, there was a little bit of tweaking and it was a lovely shot in the end. The end of the day, and she was happy. That's all that matters is as long as they're happy at the end of the day. Never have I ever simulated the HDR effect in post-editing on a single shot. Oh, God. <laughs> I was pretty certain no one was actually going to drink there, but Nick... Oh, well, only only because, uh, you know, like... Did you go through every, that phase as well? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I just went through that whole HDR phase. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So there'll be some That's a good point. Things. I'm going to go, yeah. Yeah, I'm drinking on that one too okay. now. So, so, Nick, when was the last time you did it? <clears throat> oh, it, uh, uh, in fact, I was looking at my catalogue today, about eight years, 2012. Eight years. But here's a good lesson for everyone. It taught me something. I, I had a camera that would do HDR in camera. And I've now got a whole lot of ruined photos. Um, and it's just whatever the trend is of the day, just don't do it. Just take a good shot and <laughs> go with that. You won't regret it. It's great advice. And uh, Mark? Nick actually just reminded me, yeah, there was a <clears throat> there was an era. I used to do it on bloody portraits and stuff. It used to rub <laughs> Jesus. And it's the same thing. I look back at them now and I'm just like, you dick. I mean, everyone was doing that. Um, fortunately, um, I wasn't shooting HDR and camera like you, Nick. So I can still go back and get natural portrait out of that. <laughs> so just. Oh, my God. I know. He's funny going back through your catalogue because quite often I go back and I just go, God, what was I thinking? What, what was going on in my is, head? Some at of that it point? is terrifying. Yeah, so just yeah, to take away from that, just just don't 
don't simulate HDR. Never have I ever turned up to a shoot forgetting memory cards or forgetting to charge batteries. And everyone, everyone. Hang on, I'm just drinks. taking a few more drinks. <laughs> I might just scale the whole glass on Mark's, this one. Hang on. Mark's got the bottle. <laughs> <laughs> so you've sounds like you've got a lot of stories to go along with this, Mark, but let's just pick one. No, I'm a professional. I'd never do anything of this sort. Um, <laughs> batteries. I've left batteries in it. You know what? It was only about a year or two ago. It, probably last year. Shit, should I admit this? The client doesn't know. Just don't name the client. <laughs> Maybe don't. Oh, it's pretty obvious. No, they do know, I think. I was in the Swiss <laughs> Alps. And I and, and we'd just flown in. We came in the day before. And uh, it was this sort of big, big launch. Um, and, and fortunately, I had multiple sort of roles there as a product tester and sort of I had to write some words and but primarily to take photos. So I charged all my kit up overnight, ready to go the next morning and literally busted out next morning, all kitted up. And, it, you know, there's so much gear to grab because we had to, you had to have crampons and avalanche transceivers. And I, I thought I had it all dialed until we, we got up there and I went to take my first shot and realised I, I had a battery in the camera, but it was dead as it had one bar on it. And so I'd charge the other batteries overnight. They were all still sitting in the room and in the charger. And I didn't even get a shot out of the camera. As soon as I went to take the first shot, it just blinked at me. And you've got to realise, I was just like, oh. And I thought, can I get back down there, get the battery? Because we are in resort. We haven't gone back country. And I thought, there's no way I'm going to find my crew again. We're all out of bounds. It's going to take me probably an hour and a half to get down, get back up, not find these guys. So I shot it on the phone. Oh! <gasps> And the shot was used. Wow. No way. So it was a happy ending at the end of it all. It all worked out. Mm. So Mm. have you ever just not bothered taking your kit and just taking your phone on any other commercially paid shoots? I can't answer that because I'm sponsored by Nikon. (laughs) Oh, dear. So, Nick, you took a drink as well. I just like I can't beat that story. No. I mean, no, you definitely can't, but you still need to tell us something. Oh, I um yeah, I mean, it was another one of these night shoots with the um the marathon where I turned up with like two Alencon strobes and sort of agreed with the people who were taking the training run where I was gonna meet them and sort of went out there, sort of all you know, the kerfuffle of getting out there, not the kerfuffle of flying to a European ski resort and going out of bounds, but, like, this was a good half-hour drive from my house. Um, <laughs> hey, but you remembered the strobes. I brought the strobes, plugged the strobes in, set everything up, went to put the batteries on, went, oh, shit, left both batteries <laughs> home. <laughs> so did you go back and get them? No, no, I just went home. Just went home. Been just didn't turn up. Okay, fair enough. Anne? Uh, mine's not anywhere nearly as spectacular. I just, um, I had a, I actually had a work experience kit with me and um, drove an hour and a half to go and photograph um, a property for an architect and got to the property and opened the boot to get my camera gear out and realized that I left the bag in the office at home. Did you blame the work experience kit? Clearly, No. <laughs> I don't know. I just stormed out like we were running late. We just ran out of the office and I left <clears> it behind and I just rescheduled. So not, not anywhere nearly as spectacular as Swiss uh, Alps or anything like that. So but still frustrating. Still I've, got a question. I've got a question for all of you out of this. Not that I would have done anything mm-hmm. of the sort. Do you set your camera to enable the shutter to work even when there's not a memory card in there? Nope. 
I've done that mistake once and never again. My camera doesn't fire unless there's a card in it. Okay, just wondering. Okay, yeah. Nick? You know what? I think it's on the setting that doesn't allow, but I haven't gone out of my way to check that. I'm The one thing I'm really good on is memory cards. So it comes out of the camera, gets copied, goes straight back in the camera, gets formatted. It's kind of... Wow, uh, that, really? That, you'll, you'll, yeah. you'll format before you deliver your job? Uh, no, it goes into my computer and it goes yeah. it goes into my computer and two copies are made, formatted straight back in the camera. Yeah. Okay. If I'm way out of the house, I've got, I'll have two sets of cards. One set of cards will go into the camera, get formatted. The old card with the images still on go in the bag. I'm really good. That's the only thing I've got my shit together on. Well, that leads into the next one fairly well. Never have I ever formatted a card before pulling the images off it. No surprises after that description. Nick has not done that and Nick has not taken a drink, but Mark and Anne have. So let's, Anne, let's start with you. Uh, I think it's, um, it's nothing. Um, I'm pretty sure I managed to recover most of it. Um, so I've got the recovery software. You can give it to, you know, camera shops and whatever they cover it for you. But I do think to remember that um, I was going through the catalog to do the cull and I realized that there was a whole bunch of images missing and I had already formatted it and shot over the top of the card. And I think I ran it through the program like three times and I recovered most of it. Like I didn't miss any key moments, but that certainly um, made me change my way of doing things and like, yeah, my changing my procedures. But yeah, I've never, I haven't, like the client doesn't know um, and they didn't notice that there was something missing. So I had all key moments, but there was a handful of images missing that I couldn't cover. But, wow, yeah. but it was a wedding. Um, oh yeah. What was the feeling like when you, <laughs> when you first realized what you'd done? Um, not a good one. <laughs> <laughs> oh no your heart sinks honestly like uh, look I think um like the, the key moments were it, most of it was there but there was a few things that were missing and if I wouldn't have been able to recover it the client would have noticed um and it's just it's you can't go back and redo it like if it's a commercial job you might be able to talk your way out of it or something and go back and reshoot it but a wedding you just can't so so what procedure have you put in place now to make sure that that never happens again so I shoot, um, so I shoot, first of all, I shoot on two cards. So there's a, um, a main file and then there's a raw backup. So it's a complete same file. The cards get uploaded the day I get, like on the night I get home from the wedding. The backup card gets placed on my desk as a little box um, with all the shot weddings on it. And those cards, I just rotate my backup cards. So the cards stay in that box until the client has received their gallery. And then they go back into rotation. So there's always a full backup. But I also, I've got three backups at home, two hard drives, one on a computer for a working file. And my entire catalog is backed up onto a cloud. So there's, a, there's always a working backup in, in case my house was to burn down. Mark? Well, I'm just trying to get my head around that whole backup and archive system because I knew I was crap at it. <coughs> always have been. But now I've realized I'm really crap at it. I think I just learned my lesson, mate, my ass. Like I just, I thought I was going to get my ass served to me on a platter and I just, I, it was just horrible. It was a really horrible feeling. So yeah. Just buy a whole bunch of cards. Yeah. yeah. Have, have, have enough memory cards. I think I've learned that one too. My, my, look, my, there's nothing super exciting about my story. It's the same sort of thing. I, th I think it was a multi-day job probably. It was quite a few years ago. We're getting a bit vague. I'm getting on. Um, but um, in I, I generally what I used to do is I, I, I carry my cards in little waterproof cases and I, I, I'll shoot the card and then it goes back in the waterproof case, but it goes label out. I know that shot and that doesn't get touched again till the end of the job. And I still sort of shoot in that sort of scenario or way, but at, at some point during 
during one shoot, I grabbed one of those cards, chucked it back in, formatted it. And I don't think we shot that many shots for the rest of that day. And it was when I was doing my backing up that night, it was the same as Anne. I was just like, hang on a minute, where's all those shots from this morning? And they didn't exist. And that's where you're thankful that SanDisk used to do these. And I'm not sponsored by these guys, but they used to give you that little a little piece of paper when you bought a memory card, which was, what was it? Was Rescue Pro or something? Rescue I can't Pro. remember what yeah, Rescue, Pro. Rescue Pro. Do they still do it? Yeah, yeah. with a, like a trial period. Like gives I you, think and you then, do. And so I was straight into scrambling around for a piece of paper that came with a memory card when I got home and uh yeah and got and got most of them back yeah I'm surprised with your story and that um after you'd shot over the top because obviously that that really starts to mess stuff up Mm -hmm. it's interesting what you discover though like there's all kinds of stuff that comes up from like years ago that you all of a sudden just got um rescue like um get um recover from your memory card it's really quite interesting but I had to I had to run it like I think I ran it like three or four times and I got the majority back and it just came up with different things every time you ran it. That's crazy. I, I was isn't just it? really, I was just really lucky. Yeah. And starts to go into that forensics lesson. area and the rest, you just go, wow. It's crazy that they can do that. So if anyone out there does do that, don't think all is lost. You might actually be able to recover them. Yeah. We just have a good backup system. That, that also helps. <laughs> yes. Save yourself, from, save yourself from aging too quickly. This one's clearly aimed at one person. Never have I ever been hit on by the, by a member of the bridal party whilst shooting a wedding. <laughs> yes! <laughs> yes! <laughs> that was that Okay, was Nick, massive... tell us about it. Oh, sorry, it wasn't Nick. <laughs> that was a massive long shot and it's paid off because Anne just took a drink. Yeah, it's happened a few times. Really? Yeah. People get drunk at weddings happens yeah wow that's flattering oh yeah yeah maybe (laughs) the perils of being a wedding photographer ah yeah there's a few you don't want to give us any more than that no the next question (laughs) yeah how did you meet your husband (laughs) (laughs) not at a wedding (laughs) never have i ever been injured on a photo shoot the boys mark and nick all right nick let's hear it oh i mean i'd take which time? Which time? <laughs> I spent like look, there'd rarely be a ride where I don't end up crashing. I mean, I, it's my. You told my me you're natural, a good motorcycle. My <laughs> natural position is lying underneath the bike, moaning gently. <laughs> <laughs> well, when when what what was what's the worst injury that you've had on a shoot, Nick? Oh, well. Broke my leg in the middle of the Simpson Desert, but it wasn't. It wasn't. It was. A, it was ended up in a magazine and published. And nobody. It hadn't been set out. It wasn't. I wasn't being paid to do it. Just ended up going in a in a magazine. So that would probably be the worst. A broken yeah. leg. Yeah. And here's the thing. I I broke it in the Simpson Desert, and, and I don't know if anyone's ridden across the Simpson Desert, but um, actually the whole thing was a joy because I did it with um a guy called Rupert Shaw. Does anyone know Rupert? Where's do you know Rupert? No, I do not. Rupert Shaw. Is the operations manager for the Bright Brewery, and he's a good friend of mine. Oh, sorry, no, of course next... I do. Yes, of course yeah. I know. Yes, yes, yes. So um, he and I would do these sort of big motorbike adventures, and this was one of these. And we'd sort of um, he'd said, "Oh, look, what can we do in a week?" And we'd sort of gone to a coffee shop in Melbourne, and we'd literally got a map of Australia out, and he'd gone, "Oh, what's that sandy bit in the middle? Simpson Desert. We could ride across <laughs> that." 
and that was the sum total of our planning. Bit. And um, we rode up to um, oh, what's a little place where they do the horse racing in the middle of Australia? Come on, come Birdsville. on, Birdsville. Yeah, so we rode up to Birdsville, and then we'd met this guy in the sort of campsite who just tried to do it solo on his motorbike and take four days and almost die. And that sort of got us wound up for this. And we'd um, we headed across, and it's like 550k of sort of sandy dunes, and you've got. 50 litres of fuel and a whole lot of water and all your spares. Were you carrying stuff. everything with you? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you have big tanks on. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And here's so, the thing. I'll talk about this after. <laughs> yeah. Rupert can ride on sand. I've never been on sand in my life. So. Um, oh. And you were fully <laughs> loaded up. Oh. Wow. Oh, so yes. you've, you've never ridden on sand before in your life and you just wanted to ride across the we did, sandy we did bit do in the, the middle whatever of Australia. It is. is it the little sandy desert, whatever it is on the way up? So we did a couple of little sandy bits on the way up, but I hadn't, now, before, at the start of that week, I hadn't ridden on sand. Um, you were still sitting in your seat, were you? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I mean, I crashed a lot, but I didn't really hurt myself crashing. I just came over the top of one of these dunes and... Um, it was sort of the road, the track didn't go right over the top of the dune. It sort of cut through the side. So there's some high ground on the left. And the, um, the high ground on the left just caught the tip of my boot, and just twisted my leg around. I couldn't get my hips around fast enough. And it just went, oh, hurt my knee. And it was really sore, but I was so tired anyway that um, I didn't, didn't really think about it. And I was just like, oh, Jesus, this leg hurts a bit. And we sort of finished the ride. I then had to, I flew back from Alice Springs and I had to be, uh, I was flying to Manila on like the Monday. And I can remember walking across Melbourne airport, you know how they make you walk miles. And I was just going white and had to stop someone in one of those little buggies. They drive people like me around in and say, you know, I don't care what it costs. Just put me in that buggy and drive it to the gate. And I spent this week in Miller and I came back and then I went to get an x-ray and the, x- <laughs> the x-ray bloke, the radiologist actually came out and went, how'd you get here? And I went, I walked. He goes, you broke your fucking leg, mate. <laughs> oh, what a, a week and a half ago. <laughs> Oh, no. oh God! Yeah, it was so sore. Wow. But the, the the best thing about this is uh, I wrote these series. Every time we did one of these trips, I'd write this article and get it published, in which I would just it was it was always like describing Rupert as a buffoon. So I think this this article was called "Across the Simpson with a Buffoon." Rupert being the buffoon, and he still gets people stopping him, going, "You're the buffoon, aren't you?" Having read these articles over the years, which just <laughs> makes my day every time it happens. <laughs> Better. <laughs> Oh, Mark, injuries on shoots. Um, not as good as that. I, t- I tend not to break bones or try not to. The worst one, it, it actually wasn't that bad an injury, but I was pretty devastated because it was uh, it was one of my early shoots with, with Red Bull. And I think it was probably the first big extended job I did where we, we'd flown to the Kimberley and we got a boat up the upper Ord River and we'll <clears throat> cliff, it was a cliff diving project. And to do it, we had to set some infrastructure on the top of the cliff so that basically so that when they dived off the top of the cliff, they weren't going to hit the cliff on the way down because that wouldn't have been a very good shoot. And you're in a small team, so you all sort of do everything together. You know, it's 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 good being in a small crew like that. You all you know you all eat together, and if you need to get some stuff to the top of the cliff, you all do it. So on day one, I went and helped out. Shit happened, and and someone let go of a rope, and I happened to be holding the rope, and you know, whatever the two hundred kilos fell down the cliff and I was still holding the rope and it just ripped through my hands and this and so basically all I ended up with was severe rope burn but it it was pretty 
pretty proper rope burn and uh and all my fingers swelled up and they were all bleeding and weeping and not not looking real pretty and we had a medic because you, you've got to on this kind of job there was some stupid rule because i remember him saying he said look problem we've got here is if i have to prescribe you anything more than like a general painkiller it means i really have to send you home and i was i mean rope burn just like any other burn it was effing painful but yeah we basically just ended up smashing nurofen and putting a whole load of cream and stuff on it because i was adamant there's no way i was going home but the, the stupid thing is part of the reason that i was employed for that job is because i knew how to abseil and so the rest of the shoot was sort of abseiling where you've got to run a rope through your hands <laughs> so we ended up bandaging up my hands and then using sports tape and then gaffer taping them so that and and that gaffer tape once it was on like it stayed on for three or four days and then we'd redress it and, and we got through the shoot and we got some great shots and the rest of it so that but that was probably the injury that that was was worst in in the fact that we had you know we had a team that had flown in from Colombia from Russia we had an Australian guy and then we had a, a small film crew and myself and and it was a pretty big logistical exercise to get us to where we needed to be to do it and then to have on day one of sort of a two or three week shoot to be told yeah we're going to send you home especially early in your career too you thought oh, I've totally screwed this and operating and operating the operating your camera was still okay well it was doable achievable painkillers are amazing you things your fingers with gaffer tape you, you, I was cut along like along here yeah. So it was gaffered all along here. And and funnily enough, actually, if you grab yourself a camera, you don't you're not actually doing that. You're kind of doing that, especially if you're looking at things like your your larger DSLRs. So <clears throat> pressure, you don't need a huge amount of pressure on the trigger, but you, you adapt very quickly. So for those listening, Mark was pointing to pretty much across the middle of his fingers were taped and then the top half of your fingers were still free to operate the camera. Sorry, I forgot not everyone has video. No, anyway, no, that's fine. there you go. That's fine. Not as good as Nick's busted leg. It's it's some impressive stories there, though. All right, never I'm have sure I ever. I... Oh, sorry, Anne, go for it. I said I'm sure I've got a paper cut at some stage. <laughs> <laughs> and they are the worst things ever. They are. They burn like hell. They're mm. horrible. And you think they've healed, and then you do something a few days later, and it opens mm-hmm. up again and you're just back to square one never have i ever destroyed more than five thousand dollars worth of gear on a photo shoot i'm looking straight at you mark and mark's had a drink and so has nick but Anne has not which story do you want <laughs> <laughs> that's what i was waiting for <clears throat> give, it, give us your top five times you've destroyed more than five thousand dollars <laughs> no it's a myth i don't i don't destroy that much gear I think we. I think you all know. But I'll have to just sort of retell the story that I've told at BFOP before. Yeah, the winner was probably. I had a friend. He's a good mate of mine, and and he's he's one of those guys that he's not quite normal. He was one of the first Australians or the youngest Australian at the time to summit Everest. He likes space jumping and wingsuiting and climbing and everything. As a matter of fact, what he tends to do these days for fun is he jumps out of helicopters with a small fixed wing to his back with little mini jets on, a little jet pack. Not not an everyday job. He decided in his wisdom that big wave surfing on its own wasn't extreme enough, nor was sort of base jumping. But what if you got a helicopter 
and you jumped out of the helicopter with your surfboard and then you pulled your chute and whilst your chute was open, you put your surfboard on your feet and then you lined up a big wave and then released from your parachute just before you landed on the big wave and then surfed the big wave. And obviously when we were talking about this idea, I'm like, that's a sick idea, let's do it. No no questions asked. No questions asked. Just <laughs> hell yes, let's do that. What's stupid is that this guy, and he's, he's such a good guy, Rexy, he's like, right, let's do it, and 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 basically made it happen, and we got sponsorship and all this kind of stuff. Now, obviously, there's a whole lot of logistics going in into it. and um, But what actually happened on the day is I, I'd shot some stuff in the heli, and then I'd uh, gone out to a, a boat to be able to shoot the, the actual transition from dropping from a parachute onto the big wave. And, and the boat captain didn't see that the swell was rising and the biggest set of the day was coming through from the horizon just at the time that we were about to sort of get this crux moment where Rex was coming down. Anyway, we did a perfect storm and the entire boat went straight up the wave and got to the top and we shot straight up into the air. And I was in the bow of the boat. It's funny, we talk about all this slow-mo stuff. I remember just looking down and thinking, and I've told this story before, but I'll tell it again. Boats tend to to right themselves you always think they're going to roll or they're going to tip but they're designed not to and i've been in enough to know that and so you get to this point where you think Shit, just jump out it's going to be safer but i wasn't going to be that guy because there's a good chance this boat was just going to right itself and everyone would be like why did what i jump out <laughs> um <laughs> And we punched through the top of this wave and the boat was kind of, I don't even know. Well, presumably it was backflipping at the time because I was in the very sort of bow of it. Um, And this is, it's a boat that's designed to be able to take the swell, but obviously not this. And I remember looking back down, straight down at the guys and seeing that, well, number one, behind them wasn't like horizon, but was actually just ocean. And then all the pelican cases and stuff that were in the boat started falling out of the boat. And what's weird is at the moment I sort of recognise that, well, that means we're beyond vertical. That means that we're going backwards now. So it very quickly sort of clicked and I launched myself out the boat. But what was worse is that I had one of, I think, only there were about four or five Nikon D5s in the country at that time. And I'd been very fortunate to get one of the early ones to go out and use it. And whilst they're weather sealed, they're not that good when you jump into the ocean and swim around for the next 20 minutes. So, yeah, yeah, I, I killed a brand-new D5 that had just been released, a 70 to 200, and, yeah, and a lot more stuff happened. There was an upside-down boat and a semi-scalped captain and there was, a, I think, a red camera went to the bottom of the ocean and um, the cinematographer nearly drowned and, yeah, it was, it was, yeah. What was a D5 worth at the time? I don't know. What are, what are, what are they going straight ten. off the bat? I guess they're probably up around seven grand or something. Ten, they? ten. ten. Were they really? Oh, sh- yeah. Jesus. Sorry, sorry, Nick on. <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> Nick, Nick, um, Nick Fletcher, top that. I, I don't think I've done more than $5,000 of camera gear on a shoot, but I did, um, I did this ride where I just bought this brand new off-road motorbike and I'd, I'd sort of, done everything you need to do to make them do these long rallies so there's a big sort of fairing on it and there was big tanks and there was all the protective gear and there was a navigation gear so i spent twenty thousand dollars and about 40 hours getting this thing ready and i rode the perfect rally this bike didn't touch the dirt once second last day we we're going to cameron's corner 
and uh, lovely sort of sort of sand road, sort of big rises, and they come over the top of this rise, and there's um there's one of these big graders grading the road. And I could have sort of snuck around the side, but given like I'm part of this big rally, I didn't want to be the dick who sort of shoots past a bit of machinery. So I was this big spoil heap. So I stopped behind this spoil heap and sat there with the bike running, just waiting for a grader guy to do his grading thing. And he's like grading away, grading away. And he's probably 100, 100 yards from me. And then he starts reversing up. And I think, oh, good, he's coming to get out of my way so I can get past. And he draws. So his rear tires probably three meters from me but offset and then he just turns to take a bite off the spoil heap he hasn't seen me and i'm like it takes me a minute to realize what's going on i'm like shit dive off the bike and he drives a 26 ton grader over my twenty thousand dollar brand new motorbike (laughs) (laughs) sorry it's it's not funny sorry mate it's not funny at all what do you do how do you react to that what do you do in the in the 30 seconds after that happens uh, well, I, I was quite cross. Um, but this, like, what, what I failed to realize is, like, you, you don't get the most sort of socially integrated person in a grader in the middle of the Simpson Desert, right? You get... <laughs> so, like, basically, he's a serial killer in a cab. Um, that's why he's out there, so he can bury the bodies. And his first words to me were, you better get your fucking bike off the road before there's an accident. <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> Absolutely serious. Oh my His name's Daryl, if you ever bump into him. <laughs> Go, Daryl. Wow. <laughs> How'd the insurance on that one pay out, mate? Oh, he, so, genuinely, he argued over the claim on the grounds that I was parked on the wrong side of the road. It took me a year to get my money back. Oh, oh. wow. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I think you, you might even win with that one, mate. Yeah, you're getting run over by a grader in the middle of the desert, dude. I think there was just there was just more angles and more things happening in yours, Mark. There's a lot more chaos, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because in Nick's there was like five hundred thousand hectares of nothing, but he managed to get run over by the (laughs) one grader out there. The worst, the worst thing about it is if I go on any ride anywhere in Australia, they'll just go. You're the greater bloke, aren't you? <laughs> I remember you. All right. <laughs> you got to stay away from the Simpson Desert, mate. <laughs> yeah, not good things. Good things are not happening in the desert for you, Nick. Never have I ever ended up with no usable photos after a photo shoot. I'm going to have half a drink. Half a drink on that one. Mark's thinking very hard. Well, Mark's thinking, why half a drink, Nick? I got this gig with... Um... Ducati and I'd wanted to sort of I wanted to do a sort of a nice high-end motorbike brand they were doing this um Ducati adventure rally I probably shouldn't have mentioned the brand but there you go and on the first so I sort of arrived late on the night before the ride and the guy who was running the ride had sort of all these sort of amazing ideas of things he wanted to do and he'd arranged for access to this um beautiful vineyard and he'd got like the Ducati sort of worked truck up there and this big inflatable arch and all the rest all the rest of it and i i hadn't because i'd turn up at 11 o'clock at night and this thing had to get done by eight o'clock because they were all going out on the adventure ride i hadn't seen the place and he's like well we're going to get everyone up there and everyone's like 150 riders and we're going to take some photos up there and you can do like the group shot and you can do everything else it's going to be brilliant and i'm sort of going all right just can we like 
have you actually seen this place? I'm just trying to work this through. And I sort of, anyway, I get up there. Of course, it's pitch black when I'm there. I'm trying to work out where I can shoot this thing. And then there's a whole lot of riders all over the place. And um, I just got myself in a flat. I'd managed on, on my camera. I mean, I do back, I use back button focus. And not, um, this is a bit technical, but what I'd done is, when you've got back button focus, you've got autofocus set to continuous. So you're just using your finger to hold it on. And it had flipped a single. And I was taking these photos. Every photo was out of focus. I just couldn't, because I was stressed. I just couldn't work out what I'd done wrong. I was like, fuck. Because I've now got like, there's people everywhere. You're trying to get it organized. It was just like the worst thing in the world. And then we did this group shot and they'd put the bloody inflatable banner in the wrong place. So I couldn't get a decent group shot. I think out of that thing, I got two photos. Now, the saving grace of all of this was, fortunately, as we were heading out, a lot of the shots we took were like between the vines and things, which I said to the guy, can we do this? He said, "Uh, we're probably not supposed to, but let's just do it. So we got these great sort of shots through there, all out of focus. Um, As we headed away, some dick pulled this massive mono on the wrong side of the road and almost took out the owner of the vineyard who had this massive loss of sense of humor. And the guy came to see me and he said, like, have you got any photos that are sort of, you know, things we weren't supposed to be doing? I said, well, pretty much everything we took photos of was things we weren't supposed to be doing. He's right. You can't use any of them. You can't use any in public anywhere. I was like, oh, thank God. Thank you. Well, things work out sometimes. Wow. Oh, mate. So, Mark, yeah. did you think of anything? Any scenarios for you where you've gotten no usable images after a shoot? No. No. You'd think that you'd think that I'd I'd probably have some good tales to tell there, but half of my job usually is going into a average scenario that turns shit and coming out with something. So there is always something. Also, half of my job is documentary, and so when everything turns bad, you're still documenting it. I mean, I did a I did a job last year, late last year. Well, I'm supposed to do a job. I, I, I guess you could say I've, I've had jobs cancelled with like a day's notice. So yeah, I never got a. You know, um, I was supposed to do a job in in West Papua last year, and um, it sort of broke into damn near civil war over there. So a few days out, we just canned the whole shoot. Yeah, no. Nah, what we, we what we were looking for was was embarrassing stories where you know I forgot I didn't realise that it was on sixty four hundred ISO when I was shooting outside during the day, and I didn't realise till and I got you- home. You must have missed a kiss or something. You must have missed something at a wedding. I actually have never missed a kiss, I have to say. Um, what are, are there any moments, Anne, that you've, that you've seen happen that you didn't capture because you were in the wrong place or oh, you yeah. only noticed it yeah, was yeah, happening yeah. and it was too late? Any major moments at weddings? No major moments. Like there's little moments, sure, where I was like, oh, okay, I could have been over here I could have anticipated that better but no nothing and it's generally like it's generally like family interaction moments like grandparents hugging and stuff like that or if you like positioned during a ceremony somewhere where uh damn I would have should have been over there and it would have been a better shot but I've never missed you know what I have missed a probably a couple of years ago now um, they got married in this tiny, tiny little country church. And um, I did get a couple of shots of her coming down the aisle, but I didn't, and they were fairly close up when she was almost at me. Like I was right at the front of the aisle and I was photographing the groom's reaction and I didn't, I don't know where I was with my head, but the, the aisle was relatively short. It was a very small aisle. And um, 
I'd photographed, I did like this really beautiful silhouette shot as she stood in the, in the, in the door coming into the church, but then I didn't get a long shot of her actually coming down. And the next shot I got of her, when I turned back towards her, she was almost at like face to face to me. And I just got another, just a, like a, um, a landscape type shot of her. And that was probably the only time I was like, damn it, I missed the bright coming down the aisle. That was probably one where I was like, mm, I wonder how that's going to go down. But I never, they never said anything. Like I never heard anything back from them. No, you just don't bring it up. But that's the tough thing about shooting weddings on your own, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess, I mean, but that was generally if they're too big, then you have a second shooter anyway. But um, I think that's probably the only, I have not missed touch wood, any major moments as such. And I find it really awkward when the, when the celebrants turn around like, oh, get kissed while the entire audience is watching you. Like, yeah, I know how to do my job. Thank hold, you. Hold on a minute. Let me just check. I'll it's just scroll it's back through. I've come up with one, Wes. No, I've come up with an embarrassing moment. Do you want it or you not? You have. Okay. Mate, Mark, take it away. What have you done? I remember way back when I first came back from uh, in the UK for a few years, came back and I, st- I was doing a lot of uh, public relations work and, and commercial work um, in Sydney and I shot... A, a corporate gig so it was just sort of um corporate branding and it was headshots of ceos and stuff like that all, all for one company and um went to so i didn't miss the shot but i went to edit them and i thought geez these look a bit pixelated and i shot the whole bloody thing on small jpeg yeah i've done that <laughs> oh <laughs> yeah now that was a moment where i yeah i may have may have cried Oh. Um, and uh, so, what did you do? So first, well, first you you Google how to interpolate an image, um, <laughs> and there used to be, God, I think Nick Software used to yeah. do it. I can't remember. Yeah, and so I got these things and interpolated them up as big as I could get away with. But obviously, they didn't have a huge amount of deep detail. But but that, I mean, we're talking about you know, I'm thinking in terms of print. Of course, these were only ever going to be used on a website. So I interpolated them up as much as possible and supplied them as what I called a medium JPEG and got away with it. Wow. So correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding of that term interpolate is actually the the digital process of adding pixels into an image to make it a bigger file size. Yeah, basically, yes. Yeah, sure, yes. It's, yeah, technically you screwed it. Now you're trying to fix it. (laughs) Yes. And Anne, you said you've done something similar. Yeah, like if you, um, I get my cameras serviced um, once a year and when you get them back, they change them from RAW to JPEGs. Do they? Why do they do that? they do. They don't. Uh, But I noticed that um, halfway through the bride prep, so I'd done the groom prep, and halfway through the bright prep and I realized what was going on because the when you shoot on JPEGs, um, the, the image count that's possible on the memory card is just so oh, high and it yeah, just yeah. didn't go down. Yeah. And I because um, I kind of know how many images I get onto one card um, before I have to swap over and the number just didn't move. And then I was like, what's going on here? And that's when I checked and I realized what was going on. So thankfully it was halfway through the bright prep and I noticed it early enough that I change over and you just cull out what where the exposure is not on point you just have to cull out and and, and hope for the best i suppose oh god it's that's horrifying ideal. but look there's there is wedding photographers out there actually um i'm not going to drop any names but there is a there's actually quite a well-known wedding photographer out there that shoots on large jpegs everything wow doesn't shoot raw geez you've got to be confident and uh 
you do know that you're nailing everything. Yeah, you've got to be nail. You've got to be nailing, nailing every single shot. Yeah, it must um, be hard um, with weddings. I get it with sport and and um, I guess anything where you got to turn imagery around really quick when you start looking at press as well. But with weddings, and I go, okay, you've got a bit of time, and you're talking about shooting highlight detail in a white dress. It's like the it's the ultimate oh, challenge for a JPEG. <laughs> yeah, no. Blows my mind. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Each, each to their own. Never have I ever photoshopped someone out of an image because they were ugly. <laughs> well, Nick, you better drink to that <laughs> one, mate. We've already heard that. We've already spoken about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's just a, it's just a recap of that same story. There's no other scenarios? No. <laughs> the same one. <laughs> Uh, I know, Mark, you must, you must get this because you do a lot of sort of advertising type work where you look at an image and go, well, they're not the prettiest. You're coming out, sport. Um, no, I'm just a bastard when I shoot and I just yell out to, you know, either an assistant or to the person directly, just get the F out of my shot. So, no, I don't tend to edit ugly people out and I'm, I'm just... I don't think so. No, mate. You just yell at him to get <laughs> out of the them. shot before you take it. Just me then. Just, just Nick. Just, just you. Just Nick. So, mate, I go in and I construct the frame and I use some composition, <laughs> a little bit of forethought, and I get it right. Oh, you're an artist. <laughs> ne- never have I ever told someone I was booked on a shoot to avoid having to photograph them slash spend time with them. Straight away we get two. And and you were really quick on that. You didn't have to think at all. No, I, I may have met with a few couples and then decided that actually, you know what? Sorry, I checked my diary, I'm booked. I've actually double booked. Mm, I'm really sorry about that. Bridezilla stories? Uh it's no, look, I think um it, it's it's happened a couple of occasions um where you kind of because you start off with email communications and stuff like that and they all seem really lovely and they describe their weddings and you kind of communicate and whatnot and then you go oh that's cool let's catch up and and then you sit down and um and then the bride-to-be pulls out a five-page questionnaire out of her bag that she's found on pinterest and um (laughs) sends you all these um sample images of look i don't look anything like this and my wedding isn't going to look anything like this but i'd really like these photos and i know this isn't your style and i know this is not how you photograph but can you please do that for my wedding and i'm like (laughs) you might be able to find the person that took those photos maybe yeah look you know that's um like you think that people approach you because they've looked at your work and they, you know, see themselves in your pictures and that's what they want for their <clears> wedding day. But then when it comes to the crunch, then they pull out these massive, you know, uh, Pinterest mood boards of things that are just so far from what I do. And then I just have to go, look, I'm really sorry, but either we're not a good match or I'm really sorry I didn't check my diary correctly. And I'm- Wow. So if anyone if anyone listening has approached Anne to shoot their wedding and she's told you they were booked, you might need to look at yourself. <laughs> Mark, Mark, you also had a drink on that one. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a boring scenario. I mean, most of my world is, um, is a lot of tentative jobs and so you, you end up with crossovers of uh, what, what are you doing next May? And you're like, nothing. And you'll have one client that's like, what are you doing next May? Because I've got a $20,000 shoot. 
and then you've got someone else who, and they'll be like, look, we can't confirm until a bit later. And then you'll have someone else who says, I can confirm right now for a $1,000 shoot next May, at which point I go, yeah, look, I'm not 100% sure. We'll just have to see how things go. So I'll sit, sit and wait to see whether the 20 grand shoot comes through and then, yeah, and then maybe back out of the $1,000 shoot, which is, you know, I don't know. Is that unethical? What's what's the shortest amount of what's the shortest amount of notice you've given someone that you're pulling out of a shoot that you've tentatively booked? Oh, I've had someone call up once and say, "Where are you?" Um, <laughs> <laughs> that was a rather embarrassing moment. Yeah, <laughs> shit. Did I just go there? I've got to say. He, he's pretty practiced at this because I rang him at sort of 10 o'clock yesterday and he's like, oh, am I supposed to be on? Am I supposed to be on, am I supposed to be on the that. podcast now? Because he's obviously quite used to people ringing him up and going, Mark, where are you? Well, no, what I do is I get it in my brain. I'm like, yeah, okay, I've got this podcast. It's, it's next weekend, I think. And then I'm like, okay, I'll a reminder in my diary or I'll remember. And then you get you calling up on a bloody Saturday at 3 p.m. And then I go in a freak out mode. So, <laughs> maybe because once upon a time, I should have been shooting something and I wasn't. I'm just trying to, you see, this is it. Because I remember the feeling. I don't actually remember the actual instance. I'm like, oh, I remember feeling just so shit. Do you remember, were you on another shoot or had you just forgotten? No, clean forgotten. Clean forgotten. You were just down Wasn't the even beach? on another shoot. I was having a glass of wine at home. Wow. Yeah, shit. I'm not getting and mate, we should just get rid of this whole podcast thing because I'm not getting any more jobs after this. It's gonna be so good for our businesses, honestly. No, it's just rubbish, <laughs> isn't it? I'm just gonna get smashed. Oh you know what? I just realized it wasn't as bad as that. It wasn't a job. It was a I, I had agreed to go and do a, a talk at the Bright Festival of Photography. It's going to say you're trying to dig yourself out of something here. No, no, it was it was with a camera club. That's oh, what it was, and I put them off for a while, and then I'd committed. I think I'd, I think I'd been asked actually by one of my sponsors. Yeah, they're like, oh, these guys have been asking, can you do it? And I'm like, yeah, I can do it. And I, and then that's when, yeah, I got the call. So it was, it wasn't that big, but I was the guest speaker, and um, at, a ca- at a camera club, you crushed some local. Mm. I crushed some locals, which is probably Oops. a good thing because yeah. if you've been to those things, man, some of those camera club people are so fucking techy. And they'll be like, you'll be like, I shot this at a thousand at f five six, and they'll be like, it looks Mark, like it would have been just like one thousand one hundred. Sorry, you're you're insulting every single member of our audience here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, I'll, make, I'll make sure we I'll make sure we put your email address in the uh, oh. in the show notes just in case people want to. No. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna get, I'll get slammed and slandered anyway. But I tell you what, I Jesus, some of, some of my best friends are from the Aubrey Camera Club. <laughs> oh. I'm not going to knock them. It's just that there's no way I'm going to compete on a tech level with some of these guys that, or, or ladies that spend 24-7 a day reading the, you know, the, the sensor details of how big the bloody pixels are on that, you know, the new pixel that's coming out on the new Olympus. And I kind of just brush it off in some presentation. And then they're like, actually, that can't be the case because I was reading yesterday that the pixel size on that is this and that. And I'm like, Anyway, let's not dig myself any further into that hole. I'll shut up now. <laughs> okay. Oh, gold. Oh. What was the question, Wes? No, I don't, 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 we don't worry. Don't worry. <laughs> don't worry. It's fine. It's fine. We'll move on. We're almost at the end of my list of questions here. <clears throat> so we're getting kind of pointed. 
Never have I ever planned an epic overnight photography trip up into the mountains to capture an amazing pano stitch astro snow shot only to get home 18 hours later and realize you missed one shot in the pano. Nick, cheers. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't a targeted question, was Not it? Not at all. I'm, I'm bl- I am unbelievably shocked that Mark and Anne did not drink on that one. That has absolutely gobsmacked me. Nick. I, th- I, I think you've, um, you've basically told the entire anecdote there in the question. <laughs> How did you miss the shot? Uh, that- well, I, I didn't miss the shot. It was, it was one of 24 shots. Shot. And it, yeah. the, the tripod has slipped. And it's why when I do when I do my Astro workshop, I always say after every shot, do 100% zoom to check stars are sharp. And because I didn't on that one occasion, on that one shot, and it was the one you needed in the pano stitch. But this wasn't, this wasn't exactly a, a little 20 or 30-minute drive from your house. No, no, no. I, I, I drove up sort of after work on a Friday night and then hitched up Mount Hotham and then walked with snowshoes across the Razorback Ridge to do this shot and then walked off, which is like the whole walk's about 20Ks, and then walked off down the mountain and then drove back to Melbourne then put the card in and then saw I'd missed that shot. So Mount Hotham being, you know, a four to four and a half hour drive from Melbourne on a Friday yeah. night plus a 20 kilometer, out, 20 kilometer walk through snow and then another four and a half hour drive home to then look at the images and realize there was a gaping hole in the middle of it. How'd that feel? Not great. No. I think Nick wants us to move on. I think Nick wants to move on. (laughs) He doesn't want to dwell on the memories. (laughs) This has basically been sort of a long exposition on the various disasters I've had in photography. (laughs) That's what I've realized this whole thing is about. Have you only just realized now, Mark? Yeah. How often have you screwed up? And I keep putting my hand up. <laughs> yeah, I've done that. You've definitely contributed well, Mark. Dug a hole. Everyone that's a member of the camera club now. This, this is the last one on my list, and this was a submission from Nick. So thanks, Nick. Never have I ever shot a Christmas boudoir selfie calendar. <laughs> That's delicious beer. So come okay. on, Wes, tell us about it. Okay, so I drank. <laughs> I drank. Actually, I better open another can. Um, I drank on that one. It look. It, it wasn't a calendar. It was a Christmas card. It just had multiple images of myself on it. Um, I can't take all the credit for the creative. I did see something that the great man Bill Murray had once created, and it was. Along a similar lines of that, probably because I was bored and I was living in, I guess you'd call it a studio at the time. So the room I had was very large. So pretty much had enough room to pretty much have, you know, a bit of a white backdrop and and a tripod set up. And it was me. What sort of photography were you doing, mate? Yeah, just selfies. Boudoir. Selfie, boudoir so selfies. You're in, a, you're in a studio with a bedroom and... It, it, uh, there was everything okay. in there as well. There was a table uh, okay. and there was a computer. I'm just trying to, just trying to get my head around it all. That's all. Don't worry. Go ahead. I was. I had a red Christmas ribbon tied around my neck. They were headshots for sort of shoulder up, 
but I was shirtless and I was just expressing six different emotions that were then all put together in a Christmas card that was then sent around to everyone that I worked with, uh, family, friends, and on social media. And it still is today, till this day, my most liked and commented on and shared image on Facebook. But the funnier part of the story was years later, because this was a long time ago, but years later, I, my now fiance, I had just met. We met at the Mornington Racecourse Markets where we both had stalls there. And I had asked her out on a date that day and we went out the following Tuesday night. And after we went out, she then told her mother about me, told her mother my name. And apparently, as the story goes, about... 13 seconds later, her mother turned her own phone around to Ellie and said, is this him? And had found that image by searching for my name on Facebook. And it was the first image that came up. So that was the first interaction I had with my fiance's mother. And surprisingly, she still said yes when I asked her if I could marry her daughter. So you're in the market for a wedding photographer, mate? We will be, yes. If you, want it shot in, if you want it shot in low res, JPEG, without a battery in the camera, then I'm, I'm, I'm your woman. guy. <laughs> but if you do, yeah, I think it's pretty easy to find that on, uh, on, on Facebook. But, yes, once we're allowed to have more than – how many people are we allowed to have in weddings at the moment? Five? Ten. 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 Have you shot, ten people. Have you shot a ten-person isolation wedding, Ant? No, I shot my last wedding on the – 20th of March, and that was just before level three restrictions came in. Um, so no, I haven't done any ISO uh, elopements as such. I've got a few friends that have, where they've literally camped one of the witnesses and made photographer the witness. Wow. We'll wrap it up there. It's getting late. Thank you very much for your time, and thank you very much for sharing your stories, being candid, and I'm sure I will speak with you guys again soon. Well, we hope you guys enjoyed and found that entertaining. We certainly had a great time sitting down and chatting. So thank you again to Nick, Anne and Mark for coming on and sharing with us your stories. I hope you guys enjoyed and we will catch you on the next episode.